As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today it's World Cup qualifying time. Well, it's not today. It will be soon. But today we're going to be talking about World Cup qualifying. Sound the klaxon, Joe Lowry. To preview the USA's upcoming qualifier against Mexico, I'm joined by the man whose name I just said. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, hello and no pressure. We're excited to hear your plan about how the USA will easily beat Mexico on Friday night. (laughs) Taylor, I'm going to be real with you. If I had that plan, we wouldn't uh-huh. be having this conversation. No, um, we wouldn't. I would be. I would be in a different line of work. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I'm I'm honored to be the one who gets to sound the klaxon. I don't have one on me. Um, mm-hmm. But as soon as I find one, I will aggressively sound it from now until what nine Eastern on Friday. Joe, you had one instruction before we started recording. I'm sorry. It was make sure I'm that so you're carrying sorry. your klaxon with you at all times. <laughs> and here we are, klaxonless. Oh, I feel I, I feel naked without my klaxon, Taylor. I really do. I really I do. Like, I feel like I've started us off on a very negative note. I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> no. I didn't mean to do that. No, you're good. Uh, we have we have plenty of exciting stuff to talk about. We do have the USA uh, hosting Mexico on Friday evening. We're going to talk a lot about Mexico and then a little bit about the United States, about potential lineups and tactics and all that good stuff. But, Joe, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. Let's start with the U-20s, shall we? Which is a thing that I was not planning to say until about two hours ago when Joe messaged to say, hey, we should probably mention the U-20s. Yeah, so the U-20s, the U.S. men's U-20 national team, is a thing again. They hadn't played, they haven't played any (laughs) games since 2020, and there was kind of a a whole thing about that surrounding Anthony Hudson being named the coach, and then never actually coaching a game, and now he's managed to fall upward into an assistant role on Greg Peralta's staff. So the long and short of it was we weren't really sure if he was going to go back to coach the U-20s. We learned that he he wasn't going to do that, and the U-20s needed a coach, and they got one. Uh, very recently, last week, Mikey Varis was named uh, the head coach of the U.S. U-20 national team. Not a name that I was familiar with, to be totally honest, and I'd be surprised if many folks out there were familiar with him either. But he has he has somewhat of a reputation in the U.S. youth landscape in that he was an assistant coach on Luchy Gonzalez's staff in Dallas and seems to be spoken 
pretty highly of from the folks that I've talked to in Dallas and around that club. So I, I think this is a promising hire. The Federation apparently wanted Lucha Gonzalez, and, and Lucha Gonzalez was more interested in taking a pro gig instead somewhere in Major League Soccer. We'll see if that happens or not. But the U-20s are back tonight as we're recording on Wednesday. This this may have already happened or not happened, depending on when you're listening. The U.S. U-20s are taking on Brazil in something called the Revelations Cup. So there's three games in that in that cup, and the U.S. don't have much time to train, don't expect a, a lot of great things, but it's a talented roster under Mikey Varas nonetheless. Let's talk about that roster for a second, Joe. Uh, what are some of the names that jump out to you, or who are some of the names that jump out to you? Yeah, I mean, a big one is Justin Che in the back line. Uh, we, we've talked about him a little bit before, Taylor. We talked about him when he went over to Bayern in the in the winter transfer window. You and I didn't know much about him at that time, but a really promising up-and-coming defender can play right back, can play center back. He's certainly a guy to keep your eye on. And then the midfield and attack has some really nice names on yep. this roster. Caden Clark, uh, Kate Cowell, both MLS guys who have played a, a good number of minutes this season. Jack McGlynn, who's more of a, a pass-first midfield. Uh, fielder who struggles to cover ground but is really fun to watch on the ball left-footed Paxson Aronson his Philadelphia Union teammate I mean there's just a lot of of really exciting names on this squad and, and from what from what I've heard I was listening to the scuff podcast with Adam Bells and Matt Hartman this might be a little bit of a down cycle or at least a little bit of a down birth year for the U.S. men's national team in terms of development 2004 in, in that range which is what we're looking at with this group but man there's there's still talent here for sure there certainly is, and then there's some lesser-known talent, at least to me, like, say, Dante Seeley, which is a name yeah, that I feel like I've heard Seeley. for a long time, despite only being 18 years old. But of course, Joe, he plays for PSG, young PSV, or PSV, that is, excuse me, not PSG. And then when you trace it back, he's from FC Dallas, because of course he is. You have to have at least <laughs> one or 12 FC Dallas players on any given roster. That's how it works. That's exactly how it works. A lot of folks out there, myself included, are pretty excited about Dante Seeley. Uh, I saw him a little bit in Major League Soccer, didn't didn't wow me, didn't thrill me at that time, but man, he has looked pretty darn good in some of his young PSV games, so certainly a name to watch there with Dante Seeley. And then the other one that had me like momentarily very excited, still somewhat excited because he seems interesting, would be Rokas Pukstas of Hajuk Split, of, but of Stillwater, Oklahoma before that. Uh, mostly because for a second I thought that was Pushkas. Uh, I, I, maybe I have dyslexia temporarily, but it's Pukstas, but for a minute I was like, ooh, the, uh, the Puskash Award, let's get that guy on the team. But <laughs> It is not, but is instead a, a lot of uh, promising young names that we will try to keep an eye on in the, as Joe said, Revelations Cup. Don't know what that is, uh, but it does feature Brazil, Colombia, and Mexico, so we would assume some pretty strong competition there. Joe, anything else about our U-20s before we move to USA-Mexico? I don't think so, Taylor. Let's push forward, baby. Let's do it. But before we get to that game, we should talk about what we're going to be doing before that game, uh, because I am going to be in Cincinnati. It's my first ever, at, le- at the very least, like final round of World Cup qualifying. I think it's my first ever World Cup qualifier, but I'm going to be there covering the game in person. And you and I, Joe, are going to be pretty busy during the game, obviously, but then before and after, because we're going to be doing some live pregame and postgame. Absolutely. So in addition to the usual full detailed Mm -hmm. review, which we'll have and we'll get some good perspective from Taylor being there and talking to different folks, I'm really excited to hear what you've got after that game, Taylor. In addition to that show, 
We're also going to be doing a 30-minute pregame show and a 30-minute postgame show for Bleacher Report through the BR app. So for folks that want to see our faces, we're going to be live on camera. Taylor's going to be in the stadium somewhere finding some sort of space to do that. <laughs> and I will be at home recording from my comfortable space and my life will be a lot easier. But nonetheless, we're super excited. So we'll have more info on this as it gets a little bit closer on Friday. But for now, just maybe download that BR app. Maybe uh, maybe look at some pictures of Taylor Rockwell and, and myself on Twitter <laughs> or on, on Google <laughs> to get ready to see our faces instead of just hearing our voices. Yeah, we're going to be doing this for uh, the Mexico game and then the Jamaica game after that. The Jamaica game will be a little bit easier because I won't be there in person. So doing it from the comfort of our homes or wherever we're going to be recording from, slightly easier. But I will find a space in the stadium. Hopefully nobody will be harassing me in the background or anything like that. If they do, we'll maybe incorporate that into the coverage. (laughs) But yeah, I'm excited to be able to talk it out with you before and after. uh, Answer some questions if you are are listening live. I think you can submit uh, questions that we can then answer or go over as we chat. But that will be... Before that game, which is theoretically 9 p.m. kickoff, USA-Mexico, Joe, we're going to discuss the U.S. men's national team, possible lineups and tactics later on. First, let's take a look at El Tree. How has qualifying gone so far for Tata Martino and Mexico? There have been some bumps in the road, and and the Mexican media is notoriously hard on this team. But, Taylor, the results have been there for Mexico, right? Through the first six games of the Ocho, they're undefeated and first in in the the top eight here at this point in World Cup qualifying. They're undefeated, 14 points, four wins, two draws. They have the best goal difference in in the Ocho. They've been doing just fine. In September, they had a 2-1 win over Jamaica, a 1-0 win over Costa Rica, and a 1-1 draw with Panama. And then in October, they had a 1-1 draw with Canada, a 3-0 win over Honduras, and a 2-0 win over El Salvador. Like I said, bumps in the road. That Canada game is maybe the best example. The Panama won that, that draw in September, too. The Canada game was... It didn't go viral or anything like that, but a lot of folks, myself included, were impressed with Canada and how they tried to take things to Mexico. And Mexico didn't respond in in the way that I think Tata Martino needed them to. So chinks in the armor, sure, but a strong team, absolutely. A strong team, absolutely, currently top of the table. Joe, something has occurred to me here. I, I feel like I could get us into trouble, but... They are on 14 points. The U.S. is on 11 points. Mexico with a goal difference of plus 7. The U.S. with a goal difference of plus 5. It stands to reason, Joe, that a Dos Acero scoreline for the United States sends us top of the table. <laughs> oh, you should be proud of that, Taylor. I hadn't even gone through and done that, that math or those calculations yet. I like, I like that mind of yours. Yeah, so let's, let, let's hope for the best, but prepare for El Tri, because they're going to be pretty good. There are some issues with their current roster. Let's talk about that for a second, Joe. Maybe starting with, like, who are the big names that we uh, we are mildly terrified of? I'm going to assume Raul Jimenez will be on that list for you. Oh, he's for sure on the list, as are his presumed frontline partners, yeah. Takatito and Chucky Lozano. The U.S. Taylor hasn't faced off against that front three this year. In those two wins that the U.S. had over Mexico in the Gold Cup final and then the Nations League final reverse chronological order, got those backwards. Either way, in those two finals... The U.S. didn't play that front three. They were missing at least one of those folks in all of those games, in both of those in both of those matchups. So the front three is, is fierce. Jimenez is this complete number nine. He can stretch the back line a little bit. He's also a physical presence. He's dangerous in the box. His movement is sharp. He's good in the air, good with the ball at both feet. He is, he is just a quintessential nine in every sense of that term. And then Tecatito, so incredibly skilled. Not really playing much for Porto right now, but he is... 
I mean, we know at this point what he is on the ball. And then Chucky Lozano, quick, direct, speedy, also dangerous in 1v1s, can cut inside really nicely from that left wing. Those players for me are the first names that if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm figuring out how do I neutralize these players? How do I instruct my back line and really my entire defensive shape to prepare to deal with those three guys? First off, it does feel like we need to get Raul Jimenez a new nickname because it doesn't seem fair that it's Tecatito, Chucky, and Raul, but <laughs> Raul. You know, so be it, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah, Chucky Lozano is the one that I would say, in addition to Jimenez, uh, makes me pretty scared because he's playing for such a strong, informed Napoli team right now and is getting minutes and is a part of that team and is, and is as we've talked about on Weekend Review, an important player for them in the attacking threat he poses, but his work on and off the ball, and I think is going to cause problems to the United States. We'll talk about how he might be utilized by Tata in a little bit, but let's move back, because I agree with you, Joe, that's probably our front three, or will be the front three for Mexico. Uh, in the midfield for Mexico, it stands to reason that it's going to be Andres Guardado, the uh, the captain, Hector Herrera, the ever-present midfielder, and then I'm going to say question mark, and it's not because they don't have anybody there, it's just mm. the person who would normally be that number six for Mexico might be a center back in this game, Edson Alvarez. Yeah, that, that's an entirely possible permutation here for Mexico, or having some questions in the back line. And those questions really have been there for a while, but mostly in my mind surrounding the fullback spots, but in this particular game, because Nestor Araujo is suspended after being booked twice against El Salvador, that was our last World Cup qualifier for Mexico, because Nesta Araujo is unavailable, there are question marks around who is going to be in the back line next to Hector Moreno. So that could be a spot for Edson Alvarez. If, if I'm Tata Martino, I'm not thrilled about moving Edson Alvarez out of the sixth spot and into the back line on a full-time basis. I don't know how likely that is, but it is certainly possible because of, of that spot next to, next to Hector Moreno being up for grabs, Taylor. And then, Joe, other like sort of prominent names for you, I think Hector Moreno would be one for me. We assume he will be starting and kind of the veteran leader in that back line. I would say Guillermo Ochoa, very likely to be the, the goalkeeper. I would say will be the goalkeeper, barring something unexpected happening and also provides that presence. Also seems to always pull out one or two stops against the United States that he really has no business pulling out, but somehow manages to. So I'm just preparing people to be frustrated when Ochoa stops something point blank on the line out of nowhere. Yeah, get ready for it. Ochoa is the clear starting goalkeeper in this group for Mexico. The fullbacks I mentioned being a, a little bit of a question, mostly that's surrounding, th- th- those questions are surrounding the right back spot for Mexico. Is it Chaka Rodriguez? Is it Jorge Sanchez? Is it a third option? My money's probably on one of those first two guys, but but really, Chaka Rodriguez especially, he's dangerous going forward, but not a great 1v1 defender. So there's some, some interesting discussions around that spot, and then Jesus Gallardo being the likely starter at left back, and he is, he's a solid player in that spot. So yeah, this is this is the most talented. Ah, I shouldn't say this is the most talented. I think this is the best team right now in CONCACAF. The U.S. probably has more talent when you're looking at where the players are, are based at the club level. But in terms of these guys meshing together and playing together under a, a really strong coach with a cohesive style, nobody in this region right now comes comes to Mexico's level. I agree with the caveat that that back line and the confusion around center back versus holding midfield for Alvarez, I think that does present a a possibility for the United States or an opportunity for the United States. Because I would say the front line, the attack for Mexico is probably their strongest if you're looking at the position group. The midfield with Alvarez in it is veteran and consistent and knows how to play together, which is problematic for the United States. But then once you get to that back line, as you said, Joe, there are a lot of questions. And I think that is sort of 
the area of vulnerability that we could see the U.S. exploit. We'll talk about how they could later on, but let's talk about the other center back options for a second, because as you said, Araujo injured, Cesar Montes also, or excuse me, Araujo suspended, Cesar Montes injured uh, and has played there in World Cup qualifying. And then the options get pretty thin from there. They have Julio Cesar Dominguez, they've got uh, Gilberto Sepulveda and Johan Vasquez. All three could start there. I don't know if any one gives El Tri the strength in possession and the dominance in the air that they might want against the United States. I, I agree, Taylor. I don't know that there is an obvious choice in that spot, right? Which is a good thing for the U.S. I've been talking Mexico up, and, and that's justified. But like you're mentioning, there are there are weak points, and yep. this back line is one of them. I would even argue the experience of the midfield is great for Mexico, and, and the time that they've spent on the field together is great. But they're not what they used to be, right? Age is catching up to Hector Herrera. Age is catching up to Andres Gordado. There's opportunities for MMA, for, for McKenney and Musa and Adams to run that space. I don't think they're going to dominate in that area, although it would be great for the U.S. if that happened. But still, there's there's clear opportunities for the U.S. in these physical battles, in these duels, in these 50-50s, even just in controlling that space with the ball. There's opportunities for the U.S. to really build and, and bring the ball into midfield or, or play more direct and get the ball into midfield and then attack that, that back line for Mexico that's not fully formed right now, Taylor. It is not. And of those three options I mentioned, I watched a decent amount of footage for all three, Dominguez, Sepulveda, and Vasquez, and I would say none of them really stood out to me as being particularly good on the ball, playing it forward or building out of the back. I saw a lot of lateral passes. I saw a lot of short passes. And both, uh, mostly for Sepulveda, I saw a lot of vertical passes going straight to the opposition. I think his first five that I saw him attempt in his most recent game, all uh, for club, all went straight out of out of bounds or to the opposition. That was for Chivas against Mazatlan. And that was interesting to me because it didn't seem to matter if it was him coming under pressure or if it was him being given time to try to pick out a pass through a compact defense. Either way, he wasn't having a ton of success. Uh, Dominguez is 34 years old, has played for Mexico in this cycle at right back. I, I wouldn't say is the fastest player. He's okay on the ball, but again, I don't think his distribution is necessarily anything to write home about. And then Johan Vasquez, uh, John Arnold on the Scuff podcast was comparing him to sort of a Joe Scally in the sense that he's young. Uh, Vasquez is 23, uh, has two caps so far, but to throw him in at starting center back against the United States on the road in World Cup qualifying would be... Uh, a trial by fire, certainly, but I also think might not be the smartest choice from what I saw because he is very aggressive in stepping and is very good at sort of tracking runs, putting in tackles, being aggressive in the air as well. But I then saw that sort of age-old conundrum of, especially with young defenders, of trying to make that play and then being too aggressive and the ball gets uh, gets by them or they get bypassed in a quick wall pass or something like that, and now there's a huge gap behind. So. Tata Martino definitely has his work cut out for him in, in terms of how he wants to set that back line up to deal with the United States. Again, maybe that means it's Edson Alvarez, who is obviously going to be much calmer on the ball. If you put Alvarez there, you disrupt that midfield. They do have options uh, as, at holding midfield in the form of Luis Romo, who has played there for Mexico in qualifying already. But you don't have a ton of other options outside of that. Most of their midfielders that I saw were more attacking or number eight sort of style. So, Joe, I think there are some vulnerabilities to this L3 team that the United States could certainly exploit. And maybe the one other thing I want to point out for Mexico's roster is... 
the lack of a third pure winger, and, and I'm moving us up the field here and away mm-hmm. from the center back group. I am I'm just glad that Mexico is not the only team in this game that's having some some center back not controversy, but some center back issues because the U.S. certainly is around John Brooks and, and maybe who starts next to Miles Robinson. But in the forward line for Mexico, they've got Tecatito, they've got Chucky Lozano, and then they've got three nines. They have Funes Mori, they have Henry Martin, and then they have Raúl Jiménez. No Diego Linus, which is just kind of mind-boggling to me. I read some things about maybe he's not fully fit. I don't know how true that is. He hasn't played a lot for Batiste. But man, I think back to the Nations League final, and Diego Linus came on the field and bossed the U.S. men's national team. He took Tim Reen's soul just right out of his body, scored a phenomenal goal cutting in from the right wing onto his left foot. He's a terror off the bench. I don't think you start him over Chucky Lozano or, or, or Tecatito, but I'm surprised a little bit with how Tata Martino has constructed this roster. Some of the same gripes we had, some similar gripes we had surrounding Greg Berhalter's roster, I think apply to Tata Martino's roster in that maybe lacking depth in a couple of spots that that could have been remedied fairly easily with a couple different players being brought in. So that is Mexico's roster talked about briefly. We're going to talk about their tactics, how they're going to defend, how they're going to attack in just a moment. But first, we're going to pause to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe Lowry, we've talked roster for Mexico. Let's go a little bit more in depth and talk about what we expect from El Tri. It seems like both of us are ready for a 4-3-3. How are you, broadly speaking, expecting them to defend? And then how are you expecting them to attack? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's start on the defensive side. A lot of times, Mexico, even though their base shape is a 4-3-3, a lot of the time they shift into a 4-4-2 defensively and they'll put one of those eights. Uh, they'll have one of those eight step forward, I should say, alongside the nine. So let's just say it's Hector Herrera stepping forward alongside Raul Jimenez. It could be Andres Guardado as well, or whoever's playing in, in those eight spots. They'll step forward into this 4-4-2, and a lot of times they'll press out of that shape. They'll do it out of the 4-3-3, sure. But a lot of times it's that 4 4 2. So then you've got the other eight next to Edson Alvarez or whoever the six is in the heart of that defensive shape. Then you got the back four and everything else is, is still fairly standard. But that's that's their shape and their approach is aggressive. They don't always step high, they don't press a thousand percent of the time. But they defend aggressively. They'll step forward out of, the mid, uh, out of a mid block. They'll just stay high and press on goal kicks for the opposition. There's a lot of a forward thinking in how Mexico defends. And I really do think that that, that term and that idea of, of pressing and going forward and thinking vertically applies to almost everything that Mexico does under Tata Martino. Uh, I agree with with everything you said there, Joe. I would add the addendum that sometimes to me I saw it as more of a four two three one, which is basically yeah. pretty much just a transition between four three three and four four two. But I, I draw that distinction to say that what I also saw was uh, at least in the last round of qualifying when the opposition center backs had the ball and were building out, or when they were playing a goal kick. You would see the number nine for Mexico uh, step higher up the pitch. And then you'd see, as you said, Joe, one of those number eights 
sitting in behind him, almost operating as a number 10 or more defensive on the defensive side. That was usually Andres Guardado. And so my assumption would be that uh, against the United States, it will be Guardado sitting on Tyler Adams. And then you'll have your two other central midfielders trying to mark Weston McKinney and whomever else might be starting in that midfield. Does that track for you so far? Yeah, that tracks for me, and it's going to be situational. It's not going mm-hmm. to be really anything that we've just said for uh, all all moments in this game. Yeah, but course. I think a lot of those principles will play out, and Mexico are pretty good at clogging up that midfield area, winning the ball high. I mean, we saw that over the summer for the U.S., and, and Mark McKenzie saw that firsthand. They come out hot, and they're smart with how they close down angles and how they occupy space in midfield. Taylor, I think that's a really good point. So then we would assume that they will maybe intermittently apply high pressure, intermittently sit off a bit more. I would say one thing I did spot from the way they like to defend is they do like to clog the middle, but they do try to win the ball back. They will sort of bait opponents into playing into numerical disadvantages there. And when they win the ball back, it is a testament to the awareness of Lozano and Corona and the other players who have played there that as soon as they win the ball back in the center of the pitch, those wide attackers are almost always just bombing up yep. the channels because yep. if you have advanced fullbacks or if the center backs are kind of tight and central, there is a ton of space out wide. And so I would expect when Mexico counter, if they win the ball back centrally, it will be sort of medium to long diagonals into the channels for those very pacey, very clever, very, at times, dangerous attackers. Taylor, we might be just two parts of a hive mind here. I'm going to read directly (laughs) from my notes. Mexico like to attack quickly and vertically in transition, Mm -hmm. especially through the wings, right? And that makes sense when you look at the shape and, and when you look at the personnel. The midfield three aren't chance creators. They're workers. They move and they can pass and they can connect and they can create. But really, the attacking power comes through the fullbacks and it comes through the wingers, the, the wide areas and, and the half spaces. When Mexico win the ball, I love how you just drew that out for us. Drew that, drew that up for us. They're they're dangerous pushing the ball into Tacatito, into Lozano, even even getting the ball to those players and then having Chaco Rodriguez overlap or having Jesus Gallardo overlap. That's an area where I think the U.S. is really going to have to be sharp and, and pay attention in in taking care of the ball and not turning it over in bad spots that then will allow Mexico to counter, but then also just being aware because those things are going to happen and and figuring out how you react and how you get help in those spots for the fullbacks, especially for the U.S. I think that's going to be key. Do do you expect Mexico defensively to be more aggressive in the way they're pressing? Do you expect it to be sort of 50-50 balance or do you expect them to sit off more because this is probably theoretically their strongest opponent on the road in CONCACAF? It's going to depend on the moment, but I would expect to see Mexico press a lot. It's going to be an opportunity for them to step forward, and I think they have confidence in that press. It's a key principle under Tata Martino, and when you look at this U.S. roster, especially without John Brooks in it, are you really all that scared of them playing through pressure? I don't think so. So if you're Mexico and you see, man, the U.S. left their best ball-playing center back at home, and really the next best one on the roster is... Well, I think Chris Richards is 20, right? I mean, he's a young guy who's not even guaranteed to start in this game, and we'll talk more about that because I, I, I don't know exactly what I would do if I'm Greg Baralter with that nope. spot. But I don't think Mexico is scared of the U.S. playing through their pressure. They might be scared of the midfielders, scared of the attacking trio for the U.S., certainly the wingers. But I think Mexico looks at this team and says, wow, we can press. We can step. We've done it before. We did it twice over the summer, and it, it nearly worked for us in those games. I think this might be third time's the charm for Mexico, or at least that could be their thought process. 
And when they are in more sustained attacking moves, Joe, another thing I spotted was that it will be usually Alvarez, if he's playing as that number six, as that uh, sort of defensive midfielder, stays deep alongside the two center backs, and you tend to have a back three that are all sort of within the midfield circle, I think, to basically force opponents if they're going to counter to counter out wide, and then they back their fullbacks or those wide attackers to have the speed to get back and sort of slow down that counter. But for the most part, they're keeping numbers central, conceding the flanks on counters, but that allows them to then have numbers uh, forward and central in attack and then still have uh, opportunities out wide. Yeah, it's a strong and well-drilled possession shape for Tata mm-hmm. Martino. Flexible, of course, but it's it's usually this fluid shape between a 4-3-3 and a 3-4-3 that you just described with the six dropping in. And in, in Alvarez or whoever is that six, if it's Luis Romo, uh, they'll, they'll, they will drop deeper, but they also do push forward. So it, it's a flexible spot in a, in a position that requires some ability to read the game, which I think those guys have. And stylistically, so that's the shape. Stylistically, I would describe Mexico's approach under Tata Martino as a mixture of possession, patient possession play, and direct play. Like a lot of the best teams in the world, they'll go quickly when they have space. We kind of mentioned that already. But they will also hold the ball, draw you forward, and play through you. They have the ability to do both of those things. They've had the majority of possession in all but one of their World Cup qualifiers so far. And that is the the exception there is the away game to Costa Rica where they scored in the first half and then just kept things tight defensively to keep all three points. So they like the ball. They want to have the ball. They'll press to win it. They'll, they'll win the ball back and then they'll possess again. And then when they get forward, Taylor, to, to maybe look at how they create chances, we talked about the wide play. And I think that's that's so key for this team. They like to get the ball wide in transition, but in possession too. They use a lot of crosses from fullbacks overlapping, and they also cut the ball back a lot. They'll have Tecatito or Chucky Lozano drive to the end line, or they'll have one of the fullbacks overlap and get to the end line and put in one of those low-driven cutbacks that you, you know, that you like to try and play in FIFA, right? They'll look for those spaces and bring the ball back into an awaiting nine, Raul Jimenez, or to the weak side winger. It really is the ideal, in a lot of senses, it's the ideal attacking pattern that Greg Berhalter has described in the past and, and what he described after, I think it was that Panama game when everyone was sort of questioning, what the heck are we actually seeing on the field right now? Mexico do a lot of that stuff. Maybe they're too reliant on it. I think that would be a, a slight point for them, a point of emphasis. They they really push the ball into those areas and play some low percentage crosses. I think they could clean that up a little bit. And the U.S. is going to have to be defensively solid in the box with, with their aerial duels, but that could be an opportunity for the U.S. to stack numbers in the box and then attack from there after Mexico cross it in. One more question uh, relates to p- potential opportunities for Mexico. Let's say Tata Martino calls you, Joe Lowry, and says, hey, Give me some opportunities, some areas that maybe of uh, that we could attack, that we could exploit, some vulnerabilities that Mexico could sort of focus on. Joe, I'm assuming your initial answer would be no. How dare you? <laughs> then, when in this in this theoretical scenario, Tata Martino says, "I'll give you one million dollars." I'm gonna guess that would be enough. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> what would you say are the kind of strengths for Mexico, the things that they really could be focusing on, the things that basically you expect Mexico to kind of go at in this game? We mentioned pressing already, and I think if the U.S. do show signs early on that they want to build through pressure regularly, that's something that Mexico should really attack. And it it could depend slightly on who's playing for the U.S. and their back four and the goalkeeper to the effectiveness and, and how effective the U.S. is going to be at that. But either way, I think if you're Mexico, you're saying we go in those moments early on and we really try to steal a goal early on through that. We've seen that happen already this calendar year. So that's that's one thing I would say. And another thing is is maybe just attacking Ricardo Pepe 
if the U.S. is going to have to play a bit more vertically, and I think that will happen at times, Pepe's going to be required to do some hold-up play. And I don't know how good he is at that yet. I suspect that he's not all that effective as a back-to-goal number nine right now from what I've seen in the past. So if you are Mexico, yeah, you have questions at center back right now, but you certainly have physical guys in that spot. You might not have the most well-rounded group right now based off of suspensions and injuries, but you can go in and win those battles against a teenage number nine who's still growing into his frame. So those are just two things that I would say Tata Martino should look to to do and look at the weaknesses that he should try to exploit with this Mexico team. Will that happen? I don't know, but uh, I will wait for my million-dollar check to arrive in the mail. I think you should. Definitely wait for the check first, <laughs> then give him the answer. I think that buys us some time. Joe, uh, I, I mentioned how we could see, maybe it's Guardado, maybe it's Herrera, maybe it's somebody else if, if it's a different, uh, more attack-minded midfielder in there. My thought was that they could have a lot of success if, say, when the U.S. Uh, plays a goal kick short, if they have Raul Jimenez high sort of in front of Tyler Adams, then they had Guardado more or less sitting on Tyler Adams. They had, um, assuming it's Lozano and Corona, if they had them high to sort of limit the openness of passes out into the channels for the fullbacks or for the wide attackers for the United States. It essentially means that it's those other two midfielders for the U.S., let's say it's McKinney and Musa, then they have to be the ones who are alert and dropping in. And I think if you kind of keep numbers vaguely in their area, it, we've seen that sort of fluster the United States before and basically force them into going long pretty quickly. Do you think that's a thing that Mexico might try to do, or do you see that as being a potential area of concern for the United States? Well, that that whole discussion, Taylor, that whole mm-hmm. point kind of centers around how the U.S. will choose to approach this game. Because if they True. come out and maybe it's Zach Steffen in goal and it's Chris Richards in the back line and, and maybe someone not named DeAndre Yedlin at right back, that might send a signal that the U.S. is trying to build and trying to progress. And if Mexico is able to be effective with that that pressing setup that you just described, that's a huge problem, right? Because you've just eliminated a major part of the U.S.'s game plan. Flipping the script, though, if the U.S. says we're actually content to play a bit more direct and rely on our young, energetic midfield three, assuming it is Moose and McKenny Adams, which may or may not be a safe assumption, I I hope it is, then the U.S. might be able to use that to advantage, to their advantage. Draw Mexico forward, play over the top, use the front three's energy to get in behind, have the midfield three win second balls. So, Taylor, I don't don't know the answer to your question. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage. I'm not sure we can really know that until maybe 10 or 15 minutes, uh, 5 or 10 minutes Mm -hmm. into the first half in Cincinnati. I'm not going to lie, Joe. Your answer actually made me feel more optimistic as a U.S. fan (laughs) because I think you're (laughs) right. We could see a hybrid approach from the United States. Let's take a break for a moment, and then when we come back, we will talk about the United States, what we would like to see, what we think they might do, and maybe try to assemble – our starting 11 that is 80% what we think we'll see and 20% what we would like to see. Does that sound good for you, Mr. Lowry? That sounds great, Taylor. All right. Well, then while we wait for our million-dollar checks to arrive, we will take a break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS.
Welcome back. All right, we've talked plenty of El Tree. We have not gotten our million-dollar checks, so that feels hurtful and uh, like a personal attack by the Mexican Federation. So, Joe, let's instead talk about the U.S. men's national team. We know the roster. Not much has changed. I don't think anything has changed. In fact, uh, the debate still rages about who should have been in there, who wasn't included, but we don't need to talk about that. Let's talk about what we think we will see from the U.S., or more specifically, what we would like to see from the United States uh, tactically and from the lineup. Going back to Berhalter's press conference uh, when he was discussing the roster, I feel like there was a lot of discussion around being aggressive and being like a pressing team, having mobility in the way we can kind of run them down, having mobility and speed at the back to deal with the high line, to deal with the way Mexico wants to attack. All that says to me... The U.S. is going to be aggressive in their defensive approach, is going to go after Mexico and is going to try to be, I think, pretty physical and then pretty aggressive in how they counterattack. Does that all vibe with what you've seen and heard, Joe? That that does vibe. The one caveat I'll add there is Greg Baralter is a smart dude, and I think he knows Mm -hmm. how to use the media. And so it's possible that he's trying to play some tactical chess before the game even starts. I, I, I think that could be a component, but even setting that aside, or even if that is the case... The U.S. should still come out aggressive in this game. That's what I'm expecting to see from them. I'd be surprised if we saw a 3-4-3. I think it'll be a 4-3-3 given the center back options here. Really just no John Brooks. I think kind of makes me think that the back four is more likely. And I I think we'll see this team try to play on the front foot defensively. Maybe less so with the ball. But defensively, I, I don't think there's any reason for them not to push forward. They have some athletic center backs in this group. That's really the biggest advantage to leaving John Brooks is you don't have to worry as much about his 1v1 ability when you have someone driving at him with the ball on the ground. So you don't have that. You have Walker Zimmerman or you have Miles Robinson or you have Chris Richards, these athletic guys who can cover ground. And then you have that midfield three. Push forward, press your advantage, win the ball in midfield and go direct. The the, the wingers on this roster, when you look at Christian Pulisic, who may or may not be ready to go a full 90, I'd be surprised if he did. I'd be probably even surprised if he started. But Pulisic, Aronson, Weah, even Areola, those guys thrive in transition. They thrive playing vertically. And I I think we could see Greg Baralter really go back to the same well that he did and dipped his bucket into in the Gold Cup final and in the Nations League final, where the U.S. had very little possession, 43% in the Nations League final, 36% in the Gold Cup final. Maybe it won't be quite as extreme as the Gold Cup final, but I would be surprised if the U.S. came out and, and really dominated the ball because I think their, their, their intent should be and will be around being a bit more aggressive and stepping high and playing direct after they win the ball with their press. All right, I want to focus on three parts of that answer, Joe, because that was an excellent answer. Let's start with the idea of a back three versus a back four. I think I agree with you uh, that I don't want to see the back three, or I don't think that's a thing we'll see. I think we will see the back four, obviously with no John Brooks. But with Mexico wanting to attack down the channels and with the U.S., we would assume being sort of aggressive in the way they deploy those fullbacks, there are going to be some gaps. So do you see any argument for a back three? Do you think that is at all a possibility or are you much more inclined to say back four? No, I, I do think it's a possibility. I'm still much more inclined to say back four, even with that possibility. Taylor, you bring up a good point, though. Mexico are an aggressive attacking team, and a back five does give you inherently a little bit more defensive cover in that strip of the field, that horizontal strip of the field. But really, it just depends on how you play it, right? If Baralter clearly instructs the midfield three or the wingers to give help to the fullbacks and protect the wings, then maybe you don't need that back five because you have some added advantages that you've drilled and trained to combat the lack of numbers you might have in those wide areas. So I I really do think it will be a back four. I won't be shocked if it's a five, Mm -hmm. though. 
I agree. I also won't be surprised, as you said, if we do not have Christian Pulisic starting in this game. Still uh, relatively recently coming back from injury. We don't know his fitness. We don't know if he could go the full 90. We don't know how much training he's been able to do or what he's looked like in training. So I won't be surprised if it's Brendan Aronson starting on that left wing. And I won't be surprised if we do get 20 minutes or so from Christian Pulisic. Joe, if it's nil-nil in the 75th minute... Would you like to see Christian Pulisic come on and try to get that result, maybe have that impact in the attack? Or would you rather at that point the United States play for that point at home, keep things secure, keep a clean sheet against Mexico for the momentum that could build? I think you go for it, man. I think you go for it. This is a chance for the U.S. to steal points, right? This is not a game. Yes, the U.S. has done fairly well against Mexico in recent World Cup qualifiers at home. That is true, but this is not a game that you necessarily expect or or really count on the U.S. winning. If you come into a World Cup qualifying cycle and say, we absolutely need three points at home against Mexico, things have gone wrong in other places, right? So I'm not advocating for the U.S. to phone this game in or anything of that sort, but I I think you go for it. This is a chance for you to, to snag points that maybe you didn't expect, and Christian Pulisic is a perfect player to come off the bench and provide that boost. Has he in it, has he been at his best with the national team recently? Absolutely not. But does he have that ability? <laughs> yeah, he, he totally does. I think this is a chance for Peralter to run out Aronson and Wea. We might see Ariola instead, but to run out two guys who can go and try to really press Mexico in, in all senses of that term, not just defensively, but to make their lives miserable. And then as soon as they're, they're just ready to be done and ready to go home, you bring Christian Pulisic off the bench and say, actually, our, our most skilled attacker with the ball at his feet, at least in a dribbling sense, is just about to come into this game and he's fresh. So I, I think that would be my approach here, Taylor. What about you? Uh, Joe, I think you and I once again are very much on the same page. Maybe we have like have the same shared document and the same notes because I am of the opinion, and I think this is what we will see, but it is certainly what I really want to see is the United States going for it. I want to see them make Mexico's lives miserable. I want to see them be very aggressive. And I think to your point about verticality and not a lot of possession, I think that plays into the... Not like smash and grab, that's not what I mean, but just more so the relentless like directness and make them uncomfortable and run at them and step high and put numbers forward and and really challenge and get into some scraps. And I think the U.S., it seems to me, again, going off of what Berhalter has said, the vulnerabilities that I think are presented by Mexico's back line or where Alvarez will be, I think you can make them really uncomfortable. And I think you will force mistakes. I think you will force them long. And I think then if you're taking possession away from Mexico and making them boot it long, fine if they want to press you. But now those attackers have to cover 30 and 40 yards. Everybody has to step with them. And if they do, then you can kind of hit those balls in behind. If they don't, then they get stretched out. And I think this is a game that I would much rather see the U.S. really go for it. And if they lose 3-0, I think that's how it goes for being as aggressive as they are. But I think I would rather see them really push it and try to make something happen and try to make Mexico uncomfortable versus sitting off and giving them time and letting them sort of grow into the game and get comfortable and play the game that Mexico want to play. I think if the U.S. go at them and make them uncomfortable, I think there will be opportunities, maybe not a lot of opportunities, but certainly opportunities. It it feels to me like going for it is the personality of this team, right? There are moments where you can't go for it and where you Mm -hmm. do need to be more reserved. And we've seen that from the U.S. in this cycle and maybe even moments where they've been too reserved and, and they should have been going for it more from the start of a game or from the start of a half. But man, you look at the personnel here, and I just can't shake the idea 
that their advantage is in the youth, their advantage is in the athleticism, their advantage is in the physicality in those midfield areas especially. I think it's a missed opportunity to to kind of put a bow on this this whole idea. I think it's a missed opportunity if the U.S. doesn't try to to go for it in some sense of that term. Not for 90 minutes, not for 90 minutes plus stoppage time, but picking their moments and making the most of those moments to really go out and be aggressive. Yeah, Joe, I think I often ask you, like, how will we know the U.S. game plan is working in the first 15 minutes? What does that look like? What are some things you're going to be paying attention to? I will give you my answer to that, and then I ask, uh, I'll ask you if you agree or disagree or what you make of it. But I think in those first five to ten minutes, in past World Cup qualifiers, I feel like we've seen the U.S. be – if not like up for it immediately, a little bit passive, a little bit slow. And so as an example, let's say the ball goes into Tyler Adams from a center back. If like, like if past his precedent, sometimes we'll see those two number eights just be a little bit slow to show for the ball from Tyler Adams. Or if Adams drops it back to a center back, it'll take a second or two for that number eight to then be like, oh, right, I got to get into that space. And then they make that run. I don't want to see any of that. I think the first five to 10 minutes, if we see everybody moving quickly, being very alert and hustling to get into space, and if that space isn't on, to vacate that space for other players, I want to see a lot of running in those first five to 10 minutes. Similarly, this is where your sort of hybrid approach answer earlier made me excited, Joe, is if you do see that automatic sort of rotation, if the ball goes into Tyler Adams, he lays it back to, say, Chris Richards. Chris Richards plays it into Yunus Musa's feet. Yunus Musa lays it off for Anthony Robinson, and away we go. That has me feeling like, okay, there's kind of this directness. There's, there's this awareness of everybody knows kind of where they need to be, how they need to run. But if Mexico make the U.S. uncomfortable, if they do high press, I also want there to be a long ball driven towards Ricardo Pepe, but Pepe challenges for it. Maybe you've got runners sort of going central to play off of him and fight for that loose ball, and then everybody aggressively steps behind that. And I just feel like there are chances there for the United States either way. You can build out using aggressive passing and and sort of – uh, aggressive, I would say, spatial awareness. But similarly, I think you can also go long and be direct and then fight really hard for those for those loose balls and have numbers around to sort of condense the space and, again, force Mexico either to play backwards and slow down or force Mexico into mistakes. But those, I think, are the things that I want to see in those opening 5 to 10 to 15 minutes. I like that, Taylor, and, and I'm with you in a lot of those things. Can I add a couple things from my Please. list? I have, I would love it. I have a section called Tactical Keys in my notes, and, and we'll see Ooh. how many of these things actually end up mattering. But one thing I think is going to be important for the U.S. defensively is shifting quickly. Shifting quickly defensively and really nailing yeah. their pressing angles yeah. and the timing. We've seen in the past Ricardo Pepe, maybe this is nitpicking. It probably is, but it's still important. I, I genuinely believe that. We've seen Ricardo Pepe not understand how the press works, going too aggressively when that wasn't the game plan or, or failing to block off a player with his cover shadow and not to not to block off those angles with his pursuit angle, to, to put it a different way. So those are going to be important moments, not just with Pepe, but with everyone, right? We saw the disconnect in Panama between the wingers coming to close the center backs down for Panama and the fullbacks being too late to arrive to the opposition fullback, which then left tons of space on the sidelines. I mean, Taylor, you remember that, right? We, we were seeing that happen over and over again. That can't happen against Mexico, not just because of their talent level, which is much greater than Panama or or any other team that the U.S. has played so far. Canada's in that conversation as well, though. But because of how Mexico play, we've already talked about it. Their emphasis is the wings. If the U.S. don't shift quickly in what we think will be a 4-3-3 shape, where you don't have a lot of built-in cover for the fullbacks that covers way up the field in the front line or, or more central in the midfield, you have to shift. You have to be really sharp with how you rotate defensively, how you move and cover ground, how you 
you move horizontally, how you press vertically. That's going to be huge for me, I think, in this game because you don't want to leave the fullbacks isolated 1v1. You don't want to leave Anthony Robinson 1v1. You don't want to leave, if it's Joe Scala, Yedlin, or Cannon on that right side, you just don't want to have them in those spaces by themselves. So that's one thing. The other thing, I mentioned it quickly earlier, limit turnovers. You don't need the the Mark McKenzie situation from, what was that was the Nations League final, right? You, you don't need that to happen again in this game. You either need crisp play to, to break through pressure and, and really be sharp with your spatial awareness and those things, or you need to choose your moments to go direct and win those balls in midfield. And the U.S. can do one of those things. They can do the other of those things. They can do both in specific moments. It, it doesn't much matter to me. But they need to execute in those sequences and then just be aggressive when they have the ball behind the line. So those are those are some things that I'm thinking about in this game. Whether or not they'll end up mattering, I don't know. But I think they could be a, a pretty big part of this one. I hope this makes sense, Joe. Always a great way to begin a question. Um, (laughs) With everything we've talked about, it feels like we're both sort of advocating for a more aggressive approach from the United States. I would say a high line, even if that means leaving space behind, then you're condensing uh, space for Mexico to build out of. You're putting them under pressure. So maybe those long balls aren't as accurate or even on at all because they have to kind of keep the ball moving backwards because of that press. Basically, are we both okay advocating for a pretty aggressive approach from the United States? Yes, and I'll add the caveat, just you need to be selective. I don't I don't love mm-hmm. the idea of doing this for 90 minutes and leaving yourself exposed all the time, but coming out strong, trying to press that advantage initially, and then maybe being a bit more selective about when and, and where you try to engage. But but still, I think, I think I'm, I'm with you there, Taylor. So the reason why I ask you that is because then, this is the part that I was like, I hope this makes sense. To some extent, I am less concerned about the lineup in a lot of ways than I normally would be because I think if it is Ariola or Wea or whomever on that right wing, I, I'm going to be less concerned because I don't think it's going to be the U.S. kind of building possession, playing slowly, who helps us retain the ball. I think it's going to be a lot of hard running, hard fighting, scrapping for loose balls, drawing fouls like really having to bust your lungs to get forward and then bust your lungs to get back. And I think whichever personnel allow the United States to do that, I am okay with. There are obvious exceptions to that. For example, I think Ricardo Pepe gives us the outlet that we need over other potential number nine options. I think the Musa McKenney Adams midfield is very important to me. If Musa can't go, I think it it needs to be Gianluca Busio because I think we need the kind of the range that that midfield would provide the running the the kind of ability to defend aggressively but kind of play together in quick combinations i think though that kind of diamond almost is going to be very important to me joe are there other players that you think sort of need to start this game I think Miles Robinson needs to start this game. Yep. I also think Matt Turner needs to start this game. I understand it's it's not necessarily that way in Greg Berhalter's mind, but another thing that Mexico really do is they shoot a lot. They shoot a lot, Taylor, from outside the box, from everywhere. They're going to pepper the goal with shots. Not always the best shots in terms of, of where they're shooting from and the odds of them going in, but if those shots are on target, those are more chances for Matt Turner to do what he's good at and, and to to show that he is this shot stopper that we've seen him be for the last several years. And, and the shot stopper that he is, Zach Steffen really isn't. And he, Steffen's capable, but he's not at Matt Turner's level. So that's, that's one thing that I feel pretty strongly about in this game. It does make playing out of the back a little bit more challenging. But as we've discussed, that's not the only way to skin this cat. So so that's, that's one thing for me. Anthony Robinson feels like a no-brainer at left back. Sam Vines is in this group as well, and he's having a good time right now in Belgium on the field. But I don't think you need to mess with the recipe at left back either. So there's a few more names for me, Taylor. 
I like it. And I like that it's sort of what we're talking about is the spine of this team. If it is Turner, if it's Robinson, Adams, Musa, McKinney, and Pepe, it's that central spine. And I think to your earlier point, Joe, no, it doesn't need to be 90 minutes of high octane, high intensity pressing. But I think if you make that like central three for Mexico, whomever they might be, we would assume Herrera and uh, Guardado and then question mark. If you make them run, if you make them really have to cover a lot of distance or be uncomfortable for that opening half, I think they get tired pretty quickly, and I think then the United States can have some more time, can can be a little bit more patient in the way they possess, and maybe that is when we see Christian Pulisic come on and make them even more uncomfortable. So I think I'm with you in sort of the overall spine. Does that lead us to a conversation about the U.S. lineup, Joe, or do we have more on what we want to see from the U.S. tactically before we get into the lineup itself? The only other thing that I'll mention very quickly is movement in the final third. So often in this this World Cup qualifying cycle and in these last six games, the U.S. gets the ball into the final third and things are stagnant. How many times have we seen them struggle to break down a block in that area? I think that's I think that's a problem. And I, in, in some ways, it actually won't pop up as much against Mexico because we expect them to extend and to be more aggressive. But still, in the moments where the U.S. have the ball in those spaces, how do they actually try to break through? How do they move in the box? How do they create separation in space? Those are other things, maybe slightly further down the list, but but also just really important when you're trying to score goals. Those those moments are, are things I'm going to be keyed in on. Uh, that That's kind of the last thing for me, Taylor. Joe, from the like potential front three attacking options, who do you think are some of the players that would give us the most movement that would be the most alert to potential little pockets of space or would be able to sort of combine really well uh, to make Mexico sort of have to dive in or maybe get stretched and uh, open up some space for other players to run in? Who are those attackers you think could be critical? For combination play, it's Wea, and, and that's a huge bummer in, in thinking about Sergio Des not being in this camp with a with an injury yep. because they combined really well against Costa Rica. But, but even without Des, whoever that right back is, and hopefully with the central midfielder on that side, if Wea does start, he's really good with the ball at his feet and quick and clever with how he thinks and how he moves in those tight spaces. So that's that's Wea for combination play for me. And then Pepe with how he actually moves and directs his runs and finds little pockets in the box. We've seen it at club level. We've seen it at youth national team level. And we are seeing it at that full national team level. There's room for him to improve his movement outside the 18. But, but in terms of really those moments of separation, he's a guy that I think you can bank on in some of those moments. All right. So let's talk about the potential 11 then, Joe. It seems like we're going to be pretty similar in our approach. Um, As we try to do, this is what we think Burhalter will do with a little bit of what we would like him to do sprinkled in. I think we both uh, are... I would say I'm okay with it being Matt Turner. I'm okay with it being Zach Steffen. But given how strongly you are advocating for Matt Turner, <laughs> I would say let's have Matt Turner in goal. Yeah, and I, I think depending on who we see, that does signal sort of an intent to play one way versus another way. Not that it needs to be a signal that the U.S. is going all the way to direct play or all the way to systematic build-out and in possession play. But that is a little bit of a, a flair for the U.S.'s style, I think. But yeah, I've got Turner Taylor. And then I think we we have M. Rob, Miles Robinson, as one of the center backs. We have A. Rob as the left back, Anthony Robinson. I think that's pretty nailed on. That does give us another center back and then the right back to decide. We have 
three candidates at right back, Reggie Cannon, DeAndre Edlin, and Joe Scally. Plenty of options at center back. Joe, who did you have in those two spots? Oh, this is so hard, Taylor. I don't know, and I, I'm, I've been going back and forth all day about this other center back spot. I, ultimately, I've got Walker Zimmerman in there. And I feel kind of like a traitor because we've been talking about Chris Richards for so long, and I do genuinely believe that he is the most talented center back in the pool right now. And he could have a great impact on this game with the ball at his feet and covering ground, but I, I can't help shake the idea, and I'm going to be slightly counter, I don't know, I'm going to be talking against myself here in just a second with my right back choice, but I can't help but feel like this might not be the best moment to play him, and maybe that's foolish, <laughs> I don't know, but I, ultimately I have Walker Zimmerman, I don't much care, I, I think both of them can do different things, and they both would impact the game differently, and again, another potential signal. Right yeah. back though, Taylor. You have I, Joe Scally. I do, I want to see Joe Scally. <laughs> I knew you did. And I, think, I think maybe these are slightly different situations, maybe I'm not being heretical or hi- hypocritical here, that's the one, not heretical, that's, that's a little bit different. Yeah, Maybe I'm not being so hypocritical here because the, the, the players in the depth chart are, are different. I feel like the gap between Walker Zimmerman and Chris Richards is is smaller than the gap between Joe Scally when he's playing at his best and DeAndre Edlin and, and Reggie Cannon when they're playing at their best. Scally's better on the ball. He's better at creating chances. His vision is better. He can hold things down defensively even though he's still a little bit erratic in those moments. I just think the value that he brings maybe outweighs the the challenges of throwing him in in that game. All of that said, I, I don't expect to see Scally. I, I think it's it's more mm-hmm. likely that it's Yedlin or Cannon. I think it's one of those situations in which if it is Scally, that means he he earned that spot in camp. That's what I would say is that there's no way he came in as the starting right back and then, uh, like, you know, was okay in training and here we are. I think he's probably coming in. This is an opportunity to see what it's like to play with the national team, to maybe get some minutes late on in this game or the next uh, and so if we see him start, to me, that says that he has done exactly what was asked of him. Burhalter has trusted him to execute the game plan, and I will be excited to see him. But with that said, I also won't be disappointed if we don't see him. I think if we don't, I would rather see Reggie Cannon than DeAndre Yedlin. I think uh, Yedlin offers us the obvious things we know DeAndre Yedlin offers us. The one thing, maybe this is unfair, but... I think of Yedlin in the past as in big games, I remember him doing little things like he concedes a penalty. And I think the maybe it was the Centenario, the Copa America Centenario, when he there's a cross coming in and he does the kind of jump and turns his back. The ball hits his arm. He concedes a penalty. And those little moments, Joe, to one of your earlier points, I think that is critical for the United States, not making any silly mistakes in the in the kind of defensive third if they're 30 to 40 yards from goal I don't think they can be cheeky I don't think they can be cute I think they've got to get rid if they're under pressure and I feel like Reggie Cannon gives us more defensive security that might just be my bias because I I do love Reggie Cannon I'm gonna own that but I think I am okay with it being Scally or I would be really excited if it were Scally I'm okay with it being Cannon and I am okay if it's Yedlin but I think I I feel more comfortable with Cannon at right back I just won't be surprised at any combination of the yeah. back four as long as it includes the two Robs, right? A Rob and M Rob. <laughs> yes. If yes. those guys aren't in there, then I think we've got real questions to ask. But outside of that, I, I think there's a lot of different options that Baralter could put out there, a lot of different combinations, and there would be some justified reasoning for all of them. Yeah, and, and to your point, like I think there will be frustration. Twitter will certainly be mad if it's Zimmerman instead of Chris Richards. But I think to your point, Zimmerman offers things for the United States that Berhalter wants. I think he he is he won't delay to get rid of the ball. He will go long. We saw him do that in the last round of qualifying, sometimes to his own detriment or to the team's attacking detriment. But I also think 
you need a kind of veteran presence there to just ping that ball long and then make everybody step 30 yards, and then you can sort of build from there or set your defensive line from there and play. And I think Zimmerman also gives us better strength in the air, or at least more veteran strength in the air versus Raul Jimenez. I know the logical counterpoint to that would be, but yeah, but, you know, Richards is playing in Europe and faces Bundesliga strikers, strikers every weekend, and that is a fair point, and that is why I also would be fine if it's Chris Richards. I do have, in my in my starting 11, I had Richards over Zimmerman, but Joe, I take your point that I think it could be Richards, it could be Zimmerman, it could be Scally or Yedlin or Cannon, but... Either way, or regardless of whom it is, I think there is logic there, and then hopefully that pans out. But fundamentally, as long as we have Miles and Anthony, I feel better. I'm 100% with you. And and Taylor, moving forward towards the midfield group here, Mm -hmm. I'd be shocked if we had different names. Musa, McKenney, Adams. I don't think this is an area that you should overcomplicate. And by you, I mean Berhalter and the coaching staff. It It is simple. Those are the three best sixes and eights, the three best central midfielders you have. Play them. Yep. I think the only thing that I would be okay with is if Musa is deemed to not be able to go for the full 90 or 60 minutes if he's only more of a second half usage type of player. That seems to be a thing that was a concern for Burhalter either because of his limited minutes for Valencia or maybe carrying a, a small knock. Then I need it to be Gianluca Busio. That is, I need it to be the, the BAM midfield at that point or the NBA midfield, which was also a great acronym. Uh, I think Busio lets the U.S. play the way they want it to play. If Musa were in there, he's kind of the best approximation of that. I I don't know that I agree with that, Taylor. I think they're, they're pretty darn different players, but I still would prefer Busio over any of the other eights in this squad. That's over Leggett. Let me, over, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, like, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I, I mischaracterized that. I think what I mean is that I need that midfield to be sort of all action, both on the ball and off the ball. And I need there to be a lot of running. I need them to be... Make If Mexico, if, if, say, Herrera gets the ball, I need someone to be on him quickly and sort of hassling him so he doesn't have time to turn and pick his head up and see his options. I need him to have to make quick decisions or play that ball backwards. And I think Busio, from what we've seen from Venezia, is the other midfielder who I think is most capable of closing 10 yards really quickly to not let a player turn. Do you agree with that, or am I still off base, do you think? I, th- I think that guy's Kellen Acosta, Taylor, to be totally you honest. He's, he right. covers ground in, in a way that, Really, no one outside of Tyler Adams and McKenney and Musa do, in in my view, in this player pool. But you lose a lot when you play Acosta, and this is why I want to see Busio over Acosta or, or over Leggett or Roldan. Is Busio is is better on the ball than those players? He looked a bit more creative in his appearance against. I think that was against Costa Rica in the last window. He has been looking sharp for Venezia as well, and and that that should play at least some part of this conversation. So I'm all aboard Busio being the guy, the, the next eight off the bench, if either Musa or McKenney can't go. I, I think you lose a lot in that swap. There's a there's a somewhat of a drop between those those first couple of guys, the two M's and then and then between them and Busio. But I, I am with you, Taylor, that I would prefer to see Busio if for some reason one of those eights can't go. All right, Joe. So maybe it doesn't have to be Busio if it's not Musa. Maybe it could be Kellen Acosta, but I will say and I'm not just saying this to make Twitter happy. I do not want to see Sebastian Legette starting this game, and that's not a shot at him. It's that for what we've talked about, I don't think that suits him. To me, if he's in there, it confuses me more than anything because it feels like that is counter to what you and I have been talking about. I will ask you again, do you think I'm incorrect in that? Or more specifically, what do you think Sebastian Legette would bring to this team either as a starter or as an impact sub? 
Well, to start out, I might be a fringe participant in the Twitter meltdown if, if something like that were to happen, if Legette was to start in this game. <laughs> uh, he brings, in, in an ideal world, and in, in, in the past with the national team, we've seen this from Legette, he brings this connector role. Right, he he can get on the ball and play it forward quickly. He can get on it and, and provide little short passes to in, into the front line or or back to midfield to to just really bring the speed of play up. But that hasn't been happening, Taylor. That that was happening in the past. That's not just a made up reputation. It's been happening in the past for the Galaxy. It's happened for the U.S. Men's National Team, and that's a big part of why Brothers liked him so much. Is because he fit that initial profile of someone who can connect, play, operate in the half space, and, and then bring the ball forward on the dribble some as well. But man, I think back to that Panama game, and Legette was he was slow. He was not actually progressing the ball in in the way that you would expect him to. And so that's the issue is he has a, a skill set or he's had a skill set, but we haven't been seeing that lately with the national team. And, and I don't think you can start him in a game like this. Joe, the the switch from he can play it forward quickly to but he hasn't been doing that makes me wonder how many half written tweets just got sent to the drafts folder, <laughs> because I feel like there were some people about to take issue with you. So I think they will hopefully be mollified by that answer, Joe. Uh, but I think you're right that Sebastian Legette does not uh, necessarily fit this starting 11. Maybe we see him later on in the game if things are going well. I think Ricardo Pepe, we would expect to see from the outset. I think we're both on the same page that Pulisic, if he starts, that is wonderful. And we then hope that that means he's playing 60, 70, 80 minutes, even if Thomas Tuchel does not. If it's not Pulisic, I think it's safe to say that it's probably Brendan Aronson on that left wing. Yep, that's. I think we're on this exact same page with that front line. Whoever, if Pulisic's if Pulisic's ready, he starts, and, and ideally that's opposite of Tim Weah. If he's not, Aronson starts opposite Weah, and Pulisic comes off the bench. Now, having said all of that, and us having talked all about that, I am fully prepared for a Paul Areola start. On the right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most likely on the right. That's where he plays for a club. Yeah. It's where he, he's played more for the U.S. in the past anyway. But I just, I, I'm trying to get emotionally ready for that to happen um, because I do think it's a real possibility. Yeah, I, and to go back to Burhalter's press conference for a moment, he was asked about uh, Brendan Aronson and with Gio's absence, if Pulisic comes back in, could we see Pulisic on the left, Brendan Aronson on the right? Berhalter said, I think he can play on the right, and he's been on the left. We have Paul and Wea who can do that, so I don't think there's a ton of urgency to move him. To me, that says it's Pulisic and Aronson on the left, and it's Ariola uh, and Wea on the right. And I think we did see Wea last time, but that was because Ariola could not go. Ariola does seem to be the player Berhalter most trusts to do that running, to be that physical player out wide. And maybe this is where I was going back to the idea of, like, to some extent, certain specifics of the lineup aren't as important because if the U.S. isn't going to be playing possession-based, we want 60-65% of possession. If it is more aggressive, route one at times, running teams down, that does seem like Paul Areola would give you that. It also seems like something that Tim, Timothy Weah could do yeah. as well. So I think I do lean Tim Weah here, but I think the reason why I'm not just saying it's Tim Weah to start is because I don't think Berhalter will end up starting Tim Weah. I think we're going to see Paul Areola. Well, and, and that, that you make a good point there, Taylor. In, in number one, Tim Weah does have the ability to defend, and I don't think there's this massive drop-off between Areola's hard-running and Weah's hard-running. I think he can do that stuff. And in the point that you make about, well, if the U.S. is really going to lean into, into this direct play and they're going to press and the defensive aspect of the game is going to be more important to them, then why not just play Paul Areola? Or, or maybe we could see that being Berhalter's reasoning because then you won't have the ball as much and, and what Tim Weah brings doesn't matter as much. I, I take that point and I think that's a fair line of, of reasoning. The counterpoint I would make to that theoretical argument is – 
you still are going to have the ball, right? And this is why I really don't want to see Areola over Tim Weah. It's you're still going to have the ball. That's why you press. You press to win the ball and score goals. And I think pressing and, and then attacking through Tim Weah gives you a much better chance to do that than pressing and then attacking through Paul Areola. So would this be a, a scenario? I think we, we, we tend to try to avoid this, Joe, because... I think for, I'll speak for myself. I, like Berhalter is the coach. He's in camp. He's running these sessions. He's seeing how the players respond to his instruction. He knows better than we do. Like that is just the truth. He knows better than people who are not there. He is a smart guy. He's not just a dummy who's like Paul Ariola gives me what I need, so that's it. I don't care. But I think, like with that said. I think Timothy Weah suits this game more. I agree with you because I think he can do the defensive running. I think he can do the attacking pressing. But I think he does give us a lot in trickery and creativity and drawing fouls. And I think he can have we can kind of have that movement in the box from Tim Weah. So I think I'm basically just trying to say let's hope for Tim Weah, but expect it to be Ariola. Taylor, I have the T-shirts printing with that exact slogan on it right now. Uh, I, hope I'm, for Weah. <laughs> Okay with Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm ready. I'm ready for that. <laughs> uh, Joe, anything else uh, from this game, Friday, 9 p.m., USA-Mexico, we've talked lineups, we've talked rosters, we've talked tactics. Anything else from you, Joe Lowry? I'm just excited, man. I'm excited yep. for this game. It's going to be fun. I-, I think no matter what the result is, it's going to be a good game of soccer from a neutral standpoint. It's going to be a good game. The atmosphere, I-, I expect, will be really great. You'll have a much better idea of that, having having the chance to actually go and see it in person. Taylor, I'm excited for that and to hear what you've got to say. I'm excited to do the show after. I'm excited to do the pre- and post-game live video shows. There's just so much both on the field and then off the field for us that I'm I'm really looking forward to, and hopefully people out there are too. Yeah, because I think it's two strong teams, but they both have areas of vulnerability. They both obviously have uh, strengths that they can utilize. It's going to be, I think, a pretty strong atmosphere. It's one versus two in the standings. They both want the win, but don't desperately need the win. So I think it's the stage is set for a back and forth game that I feel like will have a lot of dramatic moments, be they cards or penalties or uh, hopefully not brawls, but I feel like there will be some players in each other's faces and a little bit of gamesmanship here and there and probably some like aggressive patting on the back that maybe is meant to be like inciting a violent reaction. I think we'll see a lot of craftiness and concacafery in this game, but hopefully also a lot of skill and just overall a fun game with the U.S. winning 2-0. And that's the perfect combination of things there, Taylor. You've just come up with the perfect recipe for this game. Now we'll just see if it happens. All right. Joe Lowry, thank you very much. And I hope you get your million dollar check. uh, (laughs) And I appreciate your mercenary services. Oh, Taylor, anytime. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We have another show later this week. It will be myself talking to Matt Pence and Pablo Mar about their athletic article regarding the MLS's back. Go read it. Everything that kind of went on behind the scenes. So good. an interesting chat there. Then Joe and I will be back to review USA Mexico after that game late that night, probably early Saturday morning would be my guess. And the same goes for allocation disorder. Paul and Sam are going to be at the game. They're going to be recording afterwards as well. So two USA Mexico review shows late Friday night, more likely Saturday morning. Joe Lowry, I've already said goodbye to you listeners. I've already wrapped everything up. So I'll just say thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again very soon.